Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with my sister, Jennifer White. Hey, sis. What? How Have we you? ever disclosed that we're sisters before ever? All the time. <laughs> yeah, um, people are still shocked. And I think it's particularly relevant to our intro topic because I want yes. to talk about, uh, so a little pop culture today, Oppenheimer, the movie. So the fact that we're sisters, uh, we did grow up together in the same household. Yes. Uh, I mean, you're a lot older and less. Okay, a lot years older. older. Yeah. Um, but for many years, we were living together as children and um, we grew up in the town of Los Alamos, New Mexico. So you for know, those that of you... little one of, you know, Oppenheimer fame where that little tiny bomb was made. Yeah. So if you've seen Oppenheimer, then you would get to see um, about Los Alamos, although the yeah. outside scenes were not actually filmed in Los Alamos, which was very disappointing because those outside Only scenes. Only a few. Like, that, doesn't, that doesn't look right. Did you spot the couple places that it was though? Sorry, I'm going to totally, this is going to be a very long oh, intro for everybody. You You're going to be really bored. I looked it up and it said like Ghost yeah. Ranch and they weren't looking right. Fuller, so... inside, Fuller Lodge was inside. I saw that. that, that was and the right. scenes the when they were shooting outside at Fuller Lodge, that was shot outside because I have a lot of photos from people um, who were there. Okay, okay. But the Fuller background, like when they turned and panned to the crowd, like the blue sky in the background, that was like superimposed onto it but the crowd was there in person and then there was one scene that was in the united church there oh um and then uh, there was one other spot that was actually filmed in los alamos but you're right most of it was not filmed in town yeah yeah because we have a very famous like like it's very distinct driving up this like giant hill to get to the town Well, and even the way they like presented it, like where they had like the white guard shack, that white guard shack did exist. And like, we've all seen it, but like the town was not laid. Yeah. And it wasn't laid out the way that it's laid out there in the, the, the way the movie was done. Yeah. So the other, I mean, I feel like lots of elements kind of brought us back to our childhood, but one of the biggest ones was one of the main characters in the movie, aside from Oppenheimer, which of course is telling a true story is edward teller the scientist can you tell me about edward teller and why he's relevant to our childhood yeah and i mean i'm actually really interested to hear your memories of this but uh ellen and i had the privilege i guess honor i don't know what you call it at that point but edward teller came to dinner at our house not once but twice when we were kids and he and, is who what is what what's his relevance for those who haven't seen oppenheimer um, yet so he is another one of the theoretical physicists and he's the father of the hydrogen bomb actually so he went on to do the hydrogen bomb and i mean our dad worked at the laboratory you know like and was one of the directors of the laboratory later directors of the laboratory is how i'm sure is how they knew each other and met but um so what is your memory of that Ellen do you have any memory of having of him coming to dinner I I have like slight memories that he like it was a big deal and like mom was like cooking her like best meal and he had like an entourage he had a few people with him and he was really old because <laughs> my he was main, really old. I mean clearly yeah. I was like really young right but my main memory is that he was like really old um did he have an accent because of course like the movie really like plays up his accent so I don't remember yeah that. I actually have like the a ton of sense memories about it but not any like oh. super specific memories um mine were like weird esoteric memories though like oh. I remember that dad went to go pick him up at the hotel 
and I can like remember what the hall and the hotel smelled like when we were walking down there to where he was to knock on the door I went with him and I I went to that you didn't and I remember it was a huge deal to me because it was the first time I was allowed to sit in the front seat of the car on the way there so like again really weird sense memories (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do remember him being like old and older and gruff and, and like why, why yeah. did he have dinner at our house do we do we even know did yeah. you ask dad <laughs> i i didn't actually ask him i mean like so and i mean total like side thing is again we're like very long intro about this but i flew down to go take our dad to see the premiere of oppenheimer um when it came out because i wanted to hear like that was to me what i wanted more than anything was to hear his stories afterwards and he did talk about Teller. He said, like, the bongo drums, Feynman playing the bongo drums. He, like, that was a real thing. Like, he did that, like, constantly, like, so, like, some, like, cute little bits um, were definitely realistic in there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That was a long intro. Um, yes. So now that we've talked Oppenheimer, let's talk about insurance liens. Welcome, Ralph Song, to the podcast. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, nice to meet you. Well, nice to see you. Talk to you guys. <laughs> We've met right. you before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for those who haven't met you, let's start by with an introduction. So, Ralph, how do you introduce yourself when you run into someone in the elevator? Okay, so I'm a lawyer, one of many lawyers in California. Um, I... I'm also licensed in Illinois because I graduated from law school in Illinois. So that was the first state I was barred in. And I kept that up. And when I happened to get into this type of law, it turns out Illinois is useful to have because this is like a, a 50 state practice. And as yeah. you know, like Ellen, I've also collected a couple other licenses. Just um, taking have, bar exams for fun or by no, reciprocity? We yeah, have rep- reciprocity. Oh, so I have. Um, fun. Yeah. Well, I think that's. I don't think it's fun to take the bar exam. Did you at least get to take the the MPRE, the ethics test again? They found the old ethics score or whatever, so wow. I didn't have to take it again. You didn't? Because wow. some states you have to be within the last three years or something. So no no retesting for anything? No, maybe because of oh, the, I don't okay. know why. But yeah, I also have Arizona because I grew up in Arizona and it's pretty close to California. Um, although it's not the most favorable state for surrogacy, we, we can kind of make it that way. And then I added Washington. I've never lived in Washington, but when they passed the law, I think in 2019 to legalize surrogacy, it seemed like a good state to, to join. So um, those are the four states I'm licensed in. I'm actually yeah. kind of an old person. Like I, it's, <laughs> I graduated like 24 years ago from law school. So at age 12? Um, no, no. Uh, so I've had a long life before I started getting into art law. Um, I was, I first started working at a, a medium-sized firm called Littler Mendelssohn, which is like an employment law-based law firm. I worked at a big law firm called Wilson Sonsini. Um, the dot-com bust happened. I did some public interest for about five years working at the Asian Law Alliance in San Jose and then um, Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles in Long Beach. And um, then I moved to the state government where I worked with the Department of Fair Employment and Housing 
doing civil rights enforcement for about five years, and also the Department of Industrial Relations doing labor law, as well as our in-house uh, employment law for another five years. So what in the world made you pivot from that area over into art law? Well, I was a little bored with being a state employee, and we had to go through some budget shutdowns and furloughs and things like that. But things were pretty stable. But I adopted my son about eight years ago, and I was approached by a friend who had a website that was like a portal for adoption, and he suggested I do adoption because of my adoption story. Um, and I did the I did a leap of faith and switched careers without any kind of business contacts in the community, although I tried to meet a couple of people before I did that. Um, and adoption law is kind of difficult to practice because there's not as many, you know, there's not so many adoptions taking place and a lot of people do it themselves. Um, Adoption is always pretty close to my heart. Um, but because my wife and I, we had experience with um, IVF before we did adoption, um, we did a couple cycles of um, fresh cycles and we did a couple of frozen cycles and then we didn't have any more embryos. Mm. Um, so I've always had some, you know, I've had that experience with IVF and not being successful. And we knew about surrogacy at that time. It wasn't something that we could afford as, as a state employee. Um, but I certainly have some sensitivity to, to whatever people choose to, to form their families. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I think that it's definitely, you know, equally viable to choose surrogacy or egg donation as opposed to adoption. Probably, uh, you know, adoption is getting more and more difficult. International adoption is um, decreased in number and fewer countries are uh, making that available. And domestic adoption has always been difficult, but there's like decreasing birth rates and things like that. So um, adoption is not really a big, well, it's a, it's a medium-sized part of our practice, but our large, largest part of our practice is art law. Do you do any litigation regarding art law or otherwise? Well, we'll take on a case if it seems interesting, but we we haven't gone against like agencies or IVF doctors, but you know, like a parent ejection that might involve a sperm donation or something like that, that mm -hmm. we have to prove parentage or dispute parentage, we've done that. Um, but I, I've always kind of been interested in the employment law side of um, art, although it doesn't come up so much um, because I did those five years as a civil rights lawyer, I've always been trying to watch out for like pregnancy discrimination because right. whenever, and, yeah. Yeah. I would say, and that leads kind of what we, why we had you come on and talk about this and Ellen is going to start snoring in a second, but we, we <laughs> want to start talking about like Let's one just, of we'll my just out there. favorite Jen topics. loves insurance and my love is not, does not have the same amount of depth as her love of insurance. So I love talking about insurance. So <laughs> throw in some jokes and stuff for people in my camp of like, it's not their a hundred percent favorite thing. Uh, I'll try. It's Jen, hard to make insurance, insurance funny. I, yeah, no. Um, but I, one of the things that I know 
Ralph, we have a very specific like area we're going to talk about. And it's honestly, it's outside of my knowledge base. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this and, and gain some more knowledge is talk about liens. And you mentioned pregnancy discrimination and that that's kind of your thoughts there. So I'm trying to lead you. Go. <laughs> yeah. So liens well, are. Maybe, yeah. Maybe start with what is a lien? Why yeah. is it an exciting topic? They're not an exciting topic, but they're they're very important to know about because in a number of states, um, California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Hawaii, I've heard Colorado as well. Um, Colorado has two policies that have liens, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like some of these West Coast states, they have liens. And what liens are is a way that insurance companies can can if they don't exclude surrogacy, they can say instead, if you have a compensated surrogacy arrangement, you need to send us the contract after you sign it, and then we will we have the right to lien the compensation that the surrogate receives under the the surrogacy agreement. Uh, and some of the states they might limit the amount the insurance policies in some states may limit the amount that could be leaned. Like in California, some of the policies will only lean one third of the compensation. I think in some other states like Washington and Oregon, they, they can try to claim the whole amount. In Colorado, in Colorado too, although Friday Health Plan only did up to 50% for their contract. Yeah. And maybe too far in the weeds already, but what counts as compensation? So often there's some kind of base amount like 40 or 50,000, but then there's a fee for an embryo transfer fee for starting medication, maybe maternity clothes. Are those included or excluded? It seems like they just look at the base compensation, the number that is listed there. So whether that's, you know, 30, 40, 50 or more, that whatever is listed in there is the compensation. Now they they could choose to include other things like bonuses or, you know, the post pregnancy recovery bonus or something like that, um, but it, we haven't seen that. Um, and so the the base compensation, of course, could be changed. Or some people, um, not that we would ever advise it, but we think that some um, some arrangements they might just say, well will not even say this is compensated, but yeah. Oh, there's something that's important to note about this that I actually learned and I was shocked by in all of this as you're talking about like, because a third of compensation, even at the lowest number sounds really like a huge number, right? Like if you, whatever that means. So you're looking at 10, $15,000 worth of potentially having to pay to the insurance company. What I didn't understand until recently was that the maximum out of pocket also has to be paid separately from that as well. So in these cases, these are huge amounts of money, especially if it's a hundred percent compensation that they're going after, they could end up going after $50,000 plus the $10,000 maximum out of pocket. And the insurance could, it could end up being a $60,000 insurance policy in that case. Plus they could also get their, their premium payments. And the premiums. And... Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the the question is like, how does this exist? Like, how is it that the insurance company can just piggyback 
on a surrogacy contract and say, whatever you pay the surrogate, I will get paid too. You know, I, when, when the parties aren't agreeing to that, right? Well, you think that there's some statute or something that says that the insurance companies can do it. And in a way there is, um, there's a statute in 42 states, uh, which every state has what's called a medical lien uh, law. Well, almost all the states do. Um, and what this law says is that medical providers, including doctors, uh, whenever they see somebody who's uninsured and they're injured and it's like emergency treatment, they can recover from the tortfeasor, which is the person that caused the, the injury. Um, well, they don't actually recover from the tortfeasor, but if the tortfeasor pays the, the injured individual then they can get whatever they had to they get they can get the fair market value of the services they provided right um, so like so, if the insurance company pays out to the injured person then the doctor has the right to also take some of that money is what you're essentially saying well that's the thing it's not actually for insurance companies this the law in all these states is for Sorry, I meant like if it was, I'm sorry, I'm using like if it was yeah. an auto, if it was like an auto accident, yeah. if the auto insurance company paid me because I got hurt in an accident, then the doctor who saw me could take some of that money that the auto insurance paid on, you know, to me as part of the settlement kind of thing is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a payment from, I think it has to be from an award or a settlement. Right. Um, or a compromise. So if the victim gets paid and I, um, Rather, so, so that the hospital or the, the medical provider is not out of pocket that they, because there's someone that the, you know, emergency treatment might not always be paid for, emergency room treatment. So the not the insurance companies, the, the hospitals and the doctors could get paid if the, the victim is paid, the, the injured person's paid. So insurance companies have used these statutes to justify that they could make a contract. So they could have a term in their insurance policy, which says, yeah, if you're injured um, and you get money from the, the settlement or from an award, then we can get paid back what we paid to the hospital. Okay. And that is the basis of insurance liens in all these states. Okay. but. All of those originally, the, the policies which have insurance liens, they are for personal injuries. They're for workplace injuries, although a workers' comp may not be covered. But so they're not specifically for surrogacy. But it turns out a number of states, the insurance companies have decided, well, let's just apply this to surrogacy because surrogacy has a third party payer who's, who's able to pay, you know, the person for, it's not an injury, but for having a baby. And I think that the lien in a surrogacy case is completely inopposite to uh, when somebody's injured because you don't plan to get injured. It just happens, you know, you, but when you contract with someone to be a surrogate that you're planning to, to get pregnant. So there well, and pregnancy falls under like preventive care and usually as well. 
Yeah, and and under the Affordable Care Act, uh, pregnancy is one of the essential things that has to be covered. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's even worse because really kind of the quote injured person is the intended parents that they they're the ones suffering from a condition or a situation where normally they'd have insurance that covered their pregnancy and now they're penalized because they need help and they have to turn to a surrogate and they need to help her have insurance or doesn't have it and then plus compensating her and now adding a lien on top of it just feels like you know a punishment after punishment after punishment or just making it so hard for someone who's already struggling well, yeah, I definitely agree that the, the lien is probably one of the most expensive things that's going to be in the contract. But, right. I mean, it, it's actually not going to be, you know, the lien isn't actually known until after the surrogate gives birth because it doesn't seem the insurance companies will actually assert the lien unless the, the surrogate gives birth. So if there's like a prenatal care before and, and there's like a termination of the pregnancy or a miscarriage. I don't think that the insurance companies will do the lien. Um, but that's the, interesting, and that's just from from experience that you haven't seen yeah. them assert a lien in that case. Yeah, from experience, it seems that after the birth, um, a third party company that's contracted with the insurer, like Rawlings, will send a letter to the surrogate sometimes months later, and say that. You know, we've detected a surrogate birth, and uh, under the contract you signed, you you know you're going to have to deposit a lien of X amount of dollars, and they'll give an itemized bill um, listing all the charges for the delivery, and they could also charge like the prenatal at that point. And so, in case no one, can I just so yeah yeah in case people are thinking well what if they don't know what if i don't give them a copy of the contract do you want to talk about the specific penalty that's written in if you don't provide a copy of the contract yeah usually if you don't follow the the contract they could just deny all service they could deny any kind of payment you know the maternity coverage or um so the the contract requires that you, within a certain period of time after you, you sign the surrogacy agreement, to send it in. Um, and often within 30 days is what I've seen frequently. So for those signing agreements, definitely take a quick look to see if you need to get to the insurance company quickly. Yeah, so the surprising thing is that it's not in the statutes of the states that they have a right to apply that the insurance companies have a right to apply liens in surrogacy situations um the the statutes are usually silent or actually they they discuss the the situations and they're pretty clearly about personal injuries when when a party is injured when they need um, like emergency care um so how did the companies come up with this idea that they could do this for surrogacy well i think they looked at their they, they saw that people are signing up during open enrollment to become surrogates. And they knew that under the ACA, they have to provide uh, pregnancy care. They have to provide maternity care. And if somebody is signing up and they're going to become pregnant and they're going to deliver, they might not make any money off that policy, right? The, the premium, 
times the number of months plus the out-of-pocket. But I'm not sure if, you know, the, I don't think the fact that they're not making any money on it is a good enough reason to to do something just because you can't make money off of something or you might not make money off of it. The insurance company makes like, they had like $18 billion in profit last year. So they're not going to hurt because, you know, maybe a, a few thousand people are, are giving birth as surrogates. And there's no other comparable um, lien. You know, there's, it's not like they, they do a lien on any type of other person except for surrogates and people who are injured. So that leads, I know you talked about, you know, wanting to kind of fight this. Like, what do you see as a way forward that people could potentially fight this? Well, I think that the liens um, might be illegal because they, uh, they're not authorized by statute. And um, if maternity care is essential care and they're not, uh, you know, Obamacare forbids that you, you charge people more because they can become pregnant. Um, you, you can't make a policy a different price for women as opposed to men. Uh, I think that it constitutes potentially sex discrimination because only women can get pregnant. In California, we have a statute called the Unruh Civil Rights Act, and that's from 1959. It, it prohibits any kind of um, discrimination on you know, the typical characteristics which are protected, you know, like race, sex, um, sexual orientation, national origin, disability. Um, but it also protects against arbitrary discrimination. And so arbitration, arbitrary discrimination is like any kind of characteristic that's like, you know, similar to the, the enumerated protected classes. And I think that, you know, if, if a so, so this is the statute that people use when they, you know, there's no ladies' nights that are legal in California. Um, you can't even have like a all-female gym, right? Uh, something like that would be like sex discrimination. It's not in employment. It's actually in accommodations. You treat people differently because of, um, you know, a characteristic about them. You can't charge... Uh, some, you know, redheaded people $5 and then make everyone else free for a car wash or something like that. Right. So I think that surrogacy... Yeah, I want, I want yeah. to support this, but I'm kind of missing ladies' night, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes ladies' nights still occur in California and nobody sues. Illegally, Somebody, apparently. Say. You know, in Las Vegas, it's a totally different story, I don't know if it's, I don't know if there's a similar statute in Nevada, but there's lots of different cover prices in Las Vegas. Um, so, so I think surrogacy could be like a protected characteristic. It's like a, it's not an occupation, but it's something that only women can do and only women can get pregnant. And another possibility is it could be like a disparate impact. So Disparate impact, there are two types of discrimination. Disparate treatment is when you treat someone specifically differently. You know, you, if you say uh, a racial slur or you um, 
you know, you treat someone different in terms of how much you pay them or whether you hire them or something like that. So disparate impact is when you treat a class of people um, differently, but you don't do it intentionally. So, uh, for example, if you have a policy that, it, you know, ends up affecting one group of people worse than everyone else. Um, and in this case, surrogacy, the, the people who are going to pay for the liens ultimately are going to be the intended parents. So what are characteristics that intended parents usually have? An inability to carry a pregnancy? Yes. <laughs> so, and if you have like a- We're going back to law school and getting Socratic yeah. method here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you have a, yeah, if a limitation of a major life activity, that is a disability. And a major life activity includes, you know, being able to carry a child, to to have a pregnancy. Infertility is a is a limitation it's of a, a major life activity. Yep. It's a medical condition. Yeah, yep. it is a disability. Um, and alternately, if you're like a same sex couple, you could also maybe not be able to carry a child. If you're so, that would also affect people of sexual orientation. But it definitely seems like there's going to be a disparate impact. And UNRU, although it requires intentional discrimination, it doesn't require intentional discrimination if it violates the American with Disabilities Act. So, so I think there is a path, at least in California, and I think a lot of other states have statutes that prohibit discrimination and accommodation. So laying this out there as discrimination, has anyone tried to fight it at this point? No, and I welcome anybody to con contact me. Contact yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, um, you know, as a former state employee, I think I can, I can help with um, pointing them to the right direction and filing a complaint. So you can, say, file can you like have a class action or something like that? Yeah, can we all is band that together? what you're going for? It can be a class action. So the, the Civil Rights Department of California they do do kinds of class action lawsuits. Like they sued the LSAT to make sure that the LSAT would provide accommodations to people with disabilities. Um, now, I think the fear among a lot of attorneys in this industry, as well as the agencies is, well, what if we sue the insurance companies and they, 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 fold, they fold and they say, okay, we won't do liens anymore and we'll pay you know, people money or something that, because we wrongfully did it. But then they all pull out of the market and they all say, well, we'll now exclude surrogacy. We'll have a, an exclusion for surrogacy services. But would they really pull out of something? I mean, as I agree with you, there is a small part of their overall base of insured peoples. It is, well, they won't pull out of the whole marketplace, but they could just write in, you know, a lot of insurance policies do have exclusions where they won't cover sure. surrogacy. They won't cover a, a member that is acting as a surrogate for somebody else. They won't cover how, the... And I know it's a little like, kind of off topic, but how do you feel about that exclusion? Do you feel like that's discriminatory and an issue as well? Well, I think it is because 
it's you, exactly the same have thing. Have people reach out and are you bringing a lawsuit on that one too for us? Well, I think that one might be people are more reluctant to do that because, uh, and I'm not really sure why, but they might be because they've just, like maybe a majority of policies do have surrogacy exclusions. So people might just think that you can't challenge it. But yeah, I would think it can't get much worse, quite honestly, at this point. <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, I would think that if there is a lawsuit, or whether it's by the state or by private attorneys, they should get a consent decree. They should get some kind of, you know, in the settlement agreement, they, they should make the insurance companies not back out of the, and not just put exclusions in, in the future. Because um, I, I don't think that would be a good remedy if people just got paid and then actually there's even less access to insurance for surrogacy. Right. As, I, aside yeah. from reaching out to you and hopefully that you'll have a lawsuit that could make progress, is there anything else that people can do? Can they, I don't know. I mean, with legislators, we like write them and we advocate. Should we be like advocating to Blue Cross Blue Shield or what, what should we do? I think a legislative solution would be good. And a lot of people are waiting for that to happen. But the insurance companies are very big and powerful. And I think their lobbyists are much, <laughs> you know, their, their lobby is yeah. going to be a lot stronger than mm, the lobby of, interesting. <laughs> of people affected by infertility. Yeah. Um, well, we know the, that from IVF coverage generally, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the reason this has gone on for so long is because, you know, for most people, places, most areas, there is a policy that doesn't have an exclusion and doesn't have a lien. So people, rather than have, having to confront having, you know, taking on a lien, the, the possibility of all the compensation being leaned or, or percentage, they just choose a different policy during open enrollment. But that's not always possible. I mean, there are so many other things. You can't just we are not spoiled for choice in every place regarding liens. And I think that California is where that actually is most disproportionately seen. Like there are several counties in California that basically the lien policies are the only ones you can get. So you can't just decide to take out another policy. Yeah. I think most people are avoiding it. And that's why we don't see that many people complaining about it. But people, some people are also making a, a, a benefit cost benefit analysis like if they have kaiser kaiser might only lean a third of the compensation so maybe the kaiser policy is better than paying for a premium and the out-of-pocket um, deductible but kaiser is actually an interesting case because kaiser manages manages the hospitals right so right. how can you pay an insurance company for you know, Kaiser doesn't really have a cash price. You can't, Kaiser doesn't pay itself. Well, maybe it does, but, you know, they, they just provide the care and there's no, no one outside of the system can, can obtain that care. Right. So when Kaiser, yeah, when Kaiser does a lien, what they do is they charge what they call the, you know, the fair market value of the services. So they might say a pregnancy is like $7,000 or something like that at delivery. Um, and all the 
you know, all the other bills, but they actually don't pay that. And the statute in, in California, there, there's actually a statute that they rely on, which is Civil Code 3040 in California. And that says that um, if there's like a compromise or a settlement and the person's has an attorney, then it can only be one third of the compensation. Right. Yeah, but that is th- that statute is clearly written for torts. And the statute also says it doesn't create any kind of right to lien, which, which doesn't already exist. Um, can I, that's kind of an interesting fine point where often attorneys in the surrogacy field will represent clients for the contract and the parentage order, and that might be it. But then if clients are facing a lien, it sounds like by just being their attorney or finding another attorney, that can make a difference about what the total lien amount might be. Well, because the civil code only appears to apply to torts, other insurance companies in California, like Blue Shield, say, well, we can actually lien the whole, whole amount because that civil code doesn't apply. But their basis for leaning is purely contractual. And Civil Code 3040, the, the legislative history behind it says, you know, it, it was actually, they actually created this statute because insurance companies were saying, we're going to charge you the, we, we actually paid the hospital X, but we're going to charge the the person who's injured Y, because that's the fair market value of the services. And the, the court, the Supreme Court, no, it's not the Supreme Court, the, the legislature said, that's not okay. You can't get more money than what you actually paid out to the hospital when you do a lien. So, so then they one third in place. So I'm not sure. I think they did a one third, maybe because of like, maybe just the plaintiff's bar, and that's typically what people get for the contingency fee. But in Kaiser's case, the, what they are doing is violating the civil code thirty forty because they're not allowed to charge more than what they actually paid for. But that's precisely what they're trying to do. Right. Well, and it's only in California that it's limited as well. Because I know like in some other states, they can go after the entirety of the compensation and things like that. So it's even bigger injury <laughs> in some places. Yeah. And because it seems to be contractual, it seems like just because it's only in like six or seven states right now, the insurance companies could spread liens to any state unless they're unless it's like Nevada where they they might have a prohibition against it so I, I feel like yeah, yeah it, it's a threat to surrogacy as long as it's tolerated and it is tolerated because maybe so many people are you know choosing different policies or they are um, you know, they could hire an attorney that would negotiate and say, well, you don't have a right to do this. So we'll just get a nuisance value payment for you. But the longer it's around, the longer that the insurance companies are doing the liens, I think the the more likely they have an argument in court. It's been well, entrenched. Yeah. Yeah. If nobody's challenged this for years and they've 
the legislature hasn't passed any statute to to clarify this, then I think you know they they can argue that they they have a right to do it. So it sounds like we need to get a lot of people sent your way. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph, this is a really a huge downer. Is there any hope? Well, I think that the law, well, I think the law is on the side of intended parents and surrogates. And I think that because pregnancy care is essential and that, you know, women cannot be treated differently in terms of the benefits in a insurance policy or in terms of pricing. And I think Obamacare the Affordable Care Act also requires that 80% of the premiums be used for health care. You know, I, I think this is a, there's a lot of avenues that they could, that a lawyer could legally go after liens. So we just need people to find the attorneys to fight that fight. So you're one of them. Hopefully yeah. there's, hopefully there's others. Hopefully yeah, there are others. Build an army, <laughs> there are build an army the of wings. attorneys to fight this. Yes, good. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm. You know, I think it's just we have to do something about it before it becomes overwhelming. There's there are fewer choices in California every year right. um, during open enrollment. Like Oscar is leaving the marketplace in 2024. That was a one of the companies that didn't have a lien and covered surrogacy. Right. Yep. Every year is a new battle and adventure. And it sure would be nice if it was easier (laughs) as opposed to harder every year. Yeah. So most of the states that I mentioned that have liens are are pretty liberal states that have like, you know, strong anti-discrimination laws and strong, well-funded civil rights departments. So I think it's a matter of going to the right people and saying, this is wrong. This is an injustice. It's not fair to, you know, treat people who suffer from infertility or who can't have a baby differently and charge them more on their insurance policy, essentially. Here, here. Excellent. Oh my goodness. That was an amazing tutorial in liens and insurance. Um, Do you have any final parting thoughts for people? (laughs) Well, it it is really important that you know about liens. We've had some intended parents, and I think it's important for the agencies to be aware too. Like Mm -hmm. an insurance review is very important. It's, It's required in the state laws of some of the states like Washington and California. Um, so you, you need to have an insurance review when you, you know, during the match so that you know whether that policy is going to have a lien or it's going to cover surrogacy, or you're going to have to go into the marketplace to find a policy. And, and so you need a good broker that knows that, like knows how to read the, the language and can, will contact the insurer for clarification. Right. Yeah. Have a review and make sure you send the contract in so you're not in violation, right? Like two two big takeaways you know, for the current today. Yeah. And then if you get a lien, <laughs> you know, you can contact me. I'm licensed in all the states, um, <laughs> but we'll try to 
get people together to to go after the insurance companies. Awesome. I hope the insurance companies, if they listen, though, just realize this is a big liability for them and unfair business practice. We'll, we'll, we'll send them a copy. We'll be like, hey, you, listen to this. And then hopefully we'll have you back for a follow-up episode about your great case where you took down liens, and that's why we don't have them anymore. Right. So let's hope that there's a happy ending. Yeah, let's hope so. Oh, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Thank you. Thank you, Ralph, for sharing with us your expertise on this. Um, maybe not the most like fascinating, dramatic of topics, but definitely important. Right. I mean, I like talking about insurance in general. And even for me, that was like, whoa. <laughs> so... Uh, liens are no fun, but I also would encourage anybody to reach out to Ralph. And if you want to keep fighting that fight or are able to help fight that fight, and um, I know he would gladly take up the cause for people. Speaking of so, <laughs> yes, uh, well, is it a cause? I don't know. Like coming and talking to us. I don't know. Um, yes. Please come join us on our Facebook group. Um, go. People should definitely go check out our fun merch. Uh, I still, to this day, get exciting like people making comments about my shirts because, well, you know, because <laughs> it's always fun to wear something that says "I want to put a baby in you" and with has sperm with headphones on it. So go check out our merch at our website, and of course, go to Facebook or give us a call at three zero three. Nine nine seven one nine zero three, and as always, thank you to our team. Thank you to Melissa, to Amanda, and to all of you who show up and listen.